Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, um, I'm here with uh, my guest, Megan. Um, So Megan did come on um, last week. Um, She shared her story with domestic abuse. And this week she is on um, again for a part two. um, And Megan is going to be sharing her experience with another domestic abuse relationship that she had following the previous one that she shared. And I thought that it was really important to have her come on and share her second experience because it is not uncommon um, for, you know, people who have experienced abusive relationships to end up back in another abusive relationship. And there is a lot to unpack here in this space. And I think it's important to talk about it. And I think it's important for her to come on and share her experience and what she's learned because so many of us who have, uh, you know, been fortunate enough to escape abusive relationships, um, either end up back in another one or, um, have the potential to end up in another one. And if we don't face head on, you know, Uh, the things that have maybe been reasons why we ended up staying in the abusive relationship or the behavior that maybe we overlooked and didn't see and the red flags that we didn't catch, um, whatever it may be, it's really important to face those things head on so that we don't end up in, um, you know, another abusive relationship, which is unfortunately so common and truly makes sense. Um, when that is what you know, you often end up back in um, something traumatic that will bond you to them. So, um, Megan, I'm super grateful that you have decided to open up and share this second portion of your story. I know it requires like a great level of vulnerability. And yeah, I'm just honored that you are willing to come here in this space and really just be open and vulnerable with us. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, you know, like you said, it's just so common that it happens and I don't want anybody to feel like they're alone or that like something to be ashamed of because it's not, because it's a very common free statistic show us that it's a common thing. So, um, I, I was 34 or I'm 34. And, um, when I met my second abuser, uh, we met in 2010 and uh, at the time I was still in my previous abusive relationship. So he knew about that relationship and, uh, there was a bar in town that I used to go to and I met him there. He was like a friend of a friend and I have been out of that relationship since 2013. Mm. Um, so, you know, he knew the situation I was in, um, you know, he knew that I was with an abusive partner. He knew that it, there was physical violence. Um, and like I said, uh, in the last episode, I was hanging out with him and a friend of mine when I had decided that I was going to leave. And so he came with me. And um, after the incident, we stayed at a hotel because I was afraid to go home. Yeah, even though my, ex, my first abuser was 
in jail for like three days, um, I was still afraid to go home. So we stayed at a hotel and we were just together from then on. There was like no break. It was just a, an overlap pretty much. Mm-hmm. So um, the first red flag um, was really before we even got together, but it was one of those things I was just so, you know, messed up that I completely overlooked it. Um, I know I'd mentioned in the last episode that I was, I went out of town with a friend of mine and before I went out of town, a guy friend of mine was changing the oil in my car. And, um, you know, my ex kept calling and kept calling and wondering when I was going to be done. And he was getting uh, more and more like irritated, but I guess he was trying to, you know, not really seem too irritated, but he just kept calling and asking me when I was going to be done. And, you know, so that was kind of irritating, I guess, but I didn't really see it as a red flag at the time. Uh, And looking back, that was definitely, you know, a controlling behavior. And um, so he moved in with me almost immediately because he was living with his grandmother at the time. And so he moved in with me pretty, pretty soon after. And then um, about a month after we got together, I found out that I was pregnant. Um, it was like a month to six weeks after we got together. Um, and he was really supportive from the beginning. And I was in a really dark place for my first abuser that I was, you know, very, very happy that I had somebody that was being so supportive and that there was a man willing to stand by me and be there for me. And, you know, it was like, and he was working and, you know, he seemed responsible. Um, And so it was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is the person that's going to be there for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the whole time I was pregnant, um, he was controlling, explosive, like if anything seemed off to him, he yelled, he would punch walls. Um, There were, you know, holes in my apartment walls. And, um, you know, so there were red flags in the beginning, but it was kind of something that I had, that I had overlooked. Um, and so, you know, looking back now, it, I, cause at the time I was like, oh yeah, nothing bad happened until after I had my son. But, um, you know, when I look back, I was like, no, it was, you know, stuff happened before then. I just didn't really notice it, I guess at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mentioned in the last one, like the first time that, that I was like physically assaulted or whatever, it's like really jarring and kind of like surreal. And you don't, it's like, you don't ever think it's going to happen to you. And especially like escaping an abusive relationship. I was so proud of myself for getting out of that abusive relationship. So the first time that this person my second abuser was violent with me I was just like damn it like how did I get myself into this again you know so um the first time he was physical with me my son was about six weeks old I was leaving for work I had started um I had started working when my son turned six weeks and he was fighting with me about something he was always accusing me of cheating on him or talking to other people Um, we were fighting, we were arguing and I was standing in the hallway and I had my son in the carrier in the like infant carrier. Mm -hmm. And he, um, 
grabbed my hair and like pulled me. Mm -hmm. And again, I was just like, so shocked because I had gotten into another abusive relationship. And, um, you know, at the, at the time I didn't realize that it had been abusive the whole time, but mm. when that happened, I was like, okay, here we, here we are again. So, mm. you know, I wanted, I, even after that, I, w- I wanted it to work. You know, I had a son, I wanted him to have this family that I didn't have growing up. You know, I came from a broken home. I didn't want my son to come from a broken home. So um, I was like, okay, well, maybe it was just like a one-off. Maybe we can. So I was reading on it. I was reading on abuse because at this point I knew it was abuse. I was at least recognizing that. Hmm. So I read on it. I was like, okay, is there a way to fix it? Is there a way to get better? So, um, you know, I did some research and I, of course, it, the cycle after that had happened, he apologizes. Oh, I won't do that again. And so then at that point, I was like, okay, well, this is what you need to do to prove to me that that's not going to happen again. Uh, and of course, that that wasn't the case. I mean, the, the abuse continued, the fighting continued, and, um, you know, just different, different instances. Um, when my son was a little over a year old, we had either separated or we're fighting, you know, it, we separated, you know, quote unquote broke up. And I moved back in with my mom several times through the course of our relationship. And, um, at this, at this particular time, I was going to an event with my parents and he was quote unquote watching our son. Um, cause he never really took care of him. I was always the primary caretaker. Um, And he kept saying that he didn't believe that I was just going to this event with my parents. And he was sure I was going to go hook up with somebody. He kept calling me. He was showing up at my parents' house because I lived with them at the time. Um, And we were pulling out of my parents' driveway and he pulled up behind us and um, he was revving the engine of his truck. He had like a big, you know, loud truck. And even now the sound of loud trucks revving the engines, it's still one of my triggers Mm -hmm. uh, because that was something he would always do to intimidate me. Like he would drive by if we were fighting or if we had broken up, he would drive by my parents' house and he would rev the engine as loud as he could. Um, So anyway, he followed us for about a mile. um, And we had, when we stopped at a red light, he got out of his truck and he came up to our car yelling at me through the window, just in the middle of traffic. And so at that point, my step, my stepdad was like, no, this is enough. I'm going to stop this right now. So, um, we pulled into a parking lot and my ex and my stepdad, they both got out of the vehicle. We all got out of the vehicle and my son was in the backseat of my ex's truck. And so we all got out and my stepdad and my ex were yelling at each other. And at one point, um, my ex told my stepdad that, you're never going to see my son again. And, um, my stepdad said, Oh, I mean, I will like Megan lives with me. Like, yes, I will see her again. And it made him, it made my ex very angry. So he swung at my stepdad Mm -hmm. and he got, he didn't like, um, full on punch him, but he like hit the side of his face and my mom was standing right next to him. So he hit her in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sorry. That's really hard to talk about. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a great. Um, this stuff is, is, you know, for people who are listening, we're being let into some of the hardest, deepest, darkest moments of people's lives of your life. And you're entrusting us with like trauma, you know, it's just my biggest regret like of my life is knowing that he did that to the people that the two people that supported me the most Mm. I went back to him after that Mm. and you know I think like that's a testament to how much it messes with your mind Mm -hmm. because you know the my mom and my stepdad have been my biggest support system through through everything and um you know we called the cops and there weren't any physical marks on either of them Mm -hmm. um so there wasn't really anything they said that they could do at the time so um they let him go Uh, my parents didn't they didn't want to press charges I think because they knew that that was going to make my life harder Mm -hmm. um you know so they didn't want to press charges on him but they didn't they didn't want him to be able to come to their house anymore. Mm. Like they didn't want him to be able to come there and harass us, harass my parents, harass me. So, um, you know, they told the cops that they said, or, um, you know, they just said, we just don't want him bothering us anymore. So they didn't press charges, but the state picked up the case. So since the cops were called, the DA, you know, reviewed the case and they ended up the state ended up pressing charges against him, um, for aggravated assault. And he didn't ever, uh, do like time. He just had to, he was on probation and he had to take anger management classes, which <laughs> he would come home from. Cause of course, after that, we, uh, we did end up getting back together. Um, and, uh, he ended up using his anger management classes against me. So like when we would get into a fight and I would yell at him, he was like, oh, well, I learned in anger management that anger is a choice. And so you yelling at me right now, you're making that choice and you're making the choice to make this harder. Hmm. And so, um, you know, we did try counseling, um, but we only went to a couple, a couple sessions and um, it was just, we always end up, ended up fighting afterwards anyway. So I just didn't see the point in continuing. Um, I, uh, we did end up, so that was in this incident with my parents was in, uh, 2012. So I didn't leave until, um, probably about a year and a half after that officially, mm-hmm. we did end up moving in together because at through the whole course of our relationship, I, we either like stayed at my parents' house, stayed at his grandparents' house, stayed at, um, you know, friend's house. Like it was very unstable. And, um, we hit, we finally got a place of our own, um, in the beginning of 2013. And it kind of felt like we were moving forward, like something positive was happening. Um, I thought maybe we were getting better. 
we weren't fighting as much. And then um, through the whole course of our relationship, um, he was like, he would talk to other girls. He would message other girls and um, he needed this constant like validation, this constant stroking of the ego. And, um, you know, so uh, constantly I would find, um, him on dating sites, um, messages like on Facebook messenger, like just at, all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, but that had, it had kind of stopped, I guess, in the last, like, I don't know, three, four months before we moved in to our own place. And so I think that's why I was thinking that it was getting better. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he was working, I was working because for a lot of our relationship, he didn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was, I was making the money. He was spending all the money. Like we couldn't ever afford to do anything because we never had any money, which didn't make any sense because we didn't really have any bills because we lived with people. So, um, you know, so I, about four months or so after, um, we got together or we moved in together, like it seemed, it seemed to be going okay. And then he, I, he started talking to other girls again. So, um, and I used, I'm sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to kind of stop just for a quick sec and just Mm -hmm. like, I think point out that when you're in an abusive relationship and then you get out of the abusive relationship, it's really important for the victim to remain or survivor to remain single and to really like Mm -hmm. work through those deep rooted issues and to figure out, you know, what are your boundaries? Why did you allow for somebody to continually, you know, of course there's the cycle of abuse, but like, where are the parts within ourselves that are Mm -hmm. broken apart that are not stable enough to be able to say, Hey, I do not approve of, you know, this behavior A through Z, and I'm going to walk away from this relationship because, you know, that worth and value is intact. And I know that I deserve more than this. And Mm -hmm like even for myself included, um, leaving an abusive relationship, it's really hard to be single because you so desperately want to be loved you as in, you know, survivors and you're told that you aren't good enough or you're compared to other women and, and girls. And, um, you know, you're constantly being beaten down, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, psychologically. Uh, so like your self-worth is really just not intact. And so I think like, it's really easy to cling on to somebody who shows attention because we feel finally like somebody loves us and will, you know, be different. And then Mm -hmm. because we haven't dealt with all of these issues, these deep rooted issues, we end up back in another toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think it's just really interesting hearing you sort of like map out 
the last episode, your situation with your ex, and then now this one, because I feel like you are a lot more prone to kind of like seeing some of the red flags, but you still haven't at that point in time, yeah, accepted them and also learned what your boundaries are and your worth to be able to say like, no, like I think in the first relationship, I don't even think you really necessarily saw all the red flags, but I think right. the second one, this second relationship, like you, from what you've said, I feel like you are much more able to identify them, but like you still at that point didn't know your worth and value. And so you weren't able to say like, no, you did this to my, my parents and like, I deserve more than this. Like they, you know, mean a lot to me and therefore I'm creating this boundary and you are blocked Mm -hmm. out of my Mm -hmm. life, you know? And so I think it's just interesting to see that and to recognize that there is growth, but like why it's so important after relationships that are toxic to have a time where you just work on yourself, because if you don't like the chances of you ending up back in a toxic relationship are extremely high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's definitely something that, that I learned is like, you have to take that chance to figure out to heal from it, but to also figure out why, you know, what it is that's going on inside of you that, that accepted that abuse, not accepted because it, you know, it happened to you, but, um, you know, that, I don't know. I don't know how to word it, but, um, I think it made you feel like you didn't have the option to leave because so many times, like you don't feel like you have the option to leave. I certainly did not feel like I had the option to leave. Right. And I think, you know, it's so interesting when I think about my two stories, like how different they are, but also how, how similar they Mm -hmm. were, you know? Um, And at least I know with this one, like, I, with my son involved, like, at least I knew what was happening day to day. At least I knew that if I didn't bring X, Y, Z up, we wouldn't fight, you know? Um, but still like, I wanted, I wanted this to work, you know, I wanted, I wanted my son to have this family. And, you know, now I always tell people like, being in a toxic relationship is so much more detrimental to your children than being from a quote unquote broken family. Yeah. You know, so many people are like, Oh, I just, I don't want my kids to come from a broken family, but your family's already broken. If it's toxic, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's really good. Your family's already broken. If it's toxic. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I had, um, a mentor who, when I was married, she and her husband, um, were mentoring me and my ex-husband and I have a, a little boy. And so they would tell me that if I left, yeah, that like, they would just list off all these statistics of like how Dutch, like how detrimental it is to a child mm-hmm. to come from a family with a father and a mother and how important, it is for, you know, a little boy or a boy or a daughter to have like, Mm -hmm. um, a dad. And I remember always feeling extremely torn because it's true as a parent, you don't want your child to grow up in a broken family. And a lot of us have come from broken families 
And right. so we have experienced the brokenness and had to work through all those things that have, you know, resulted in maybe insecurity or whatever it may be um, because of the absence of a parent um, or maybe both parents. And so mm-hmm. for for us being in a situation where we're faced with that same sort of like mirrored experience, like we have experienced with our own children. Um, I think it's really key. Like what you just said, I mean, the family is already broken because there is a toxic um, toxicity happening Mm -hmm. in the family. And I would rather my son watch me struggle as a single mother but love him and for him to know that he can kind of come home to a safe place where he exactly. is like loved and he can, he can have consistency and security, but to see me financially struggle than for him to walk in a home where, you know, maybe it's nicer. Maybe we have more things. Maybe he has nicer clothes, you know, maybe he has a dad, but not know if today is going to be a good day for his dad or if tomorrow mm-hmm. his dad's going to be, you know, throwing things across the house. Like right. I would rather my son see me struggle in the, in another aspect than struggle in yeah. a negative relationship. And I completely agree with that because I mean, you're struggling, you know, we're struggling now financially because we're single parents, but we aren't struggling. I mean, I got, I would not say that we're struggling emotionally. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we're working on ourselves healing from those relationships, but I wouldn't say that we are struggling, you know? Um, and when you are in those abusive relationships, you are struggling, uh, Mm -hmm. emotionally and mentally. It's a different, it's a different type of struggling, right? Like there's a difference between like emotional instability and then just having to work through emotional trauma mm-hmm. because there is a consistency that we are able to provide that, you know, spouses who are unstable just aren't. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I always say, um, you know, because it is hard that first, that first, like, year or so after we weren't together anymore financially it's hard mm-hmm. and but I always say that the worst day I had out of the relationship was better than my best day with them wow like it just was you know because like I've mentioned before that peace mm-hmm. you have that peace like even though you know the abuse continues after the relationship ends or it did in my experience, but, um, you know, you, I could come home and I had my peace. Hmm. I could turn off my phone and I wouldn't have to deal with it. You know, yeah. so that's what I always say. Like, yes, the financial struggle was hard. Yes. The, you know, having to navigate being a single parent, like that was hard, but every single day in an abusive relationship is harder. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that it's, you know, when you are um, cultivating a life for yourself um, without the abusive partner, it's really easy 
to get tricked into thinking that it would be easier or better if you just went back and financially it'd be easier or emotionally. Um, but like, I always remind myself, I don't, I don't struggle with wanting to like return back to him, but it is really hard to, I'm in that, you know, that the second year now, and I'm in this, uh, place of like, rebuilding my life and constantly being bombarded with financial, you know, expectations. And, and just so many things as a single mom having to rebuild my life again, but I get to remind myself, you know, today is a new day and I get the opportunity to decide what kind of day it is. And it's going to be a day of joy and nobody is going to be able to, you know, decide what that is. Cause when you're in an abusive relationship, you never know what kind of day you're getting. Right. Never yeah, know. It's so unpredictable. So unpredictable. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember like after, after I left, um, I had to, I didn't necessarily want to go. Cause once I was done, I, I was done. You know, once I had to, had made that decision, like I didn't, necessarily want to go back, but I did have to, I think, mourn the loss of that family that I had created in my mind. You know, I had created this, this life in my mind with my kid and potential other children with this man. And, um, so I had to mourn that I had to give myself this time. And anytime I thought about being sad that I didn't have my family, I had to remind myself, like, you're not missing him. You're not wanting him back. You're just mourning the loss of that family. And that's completely normal. It's completely normal to grieve the family that you had hoped for. And, you know, that's not a weak spot. That's not you wanting to go back. You know, it's just you mourning the loss of that family. Yeah. Um, so you know, like I said, the abuse continued after we broke up, like stalking, harassing, like every, every day he would like call or text or drive by the house or something. So like a month, um, after we had broken up, I had a kickball game. I played adult kickball and, um, he kept bothering me and calling me, but I wasn't answering. And he hated that I was enjoying myself. He hated that I had a life outside of him. I was hanging out with friends. Um, and he was going to do whatever he could to keep me from doing that. So he came up to the kickball field, uh, but I didn't interact with him. I just ignored it. I saw him there. I just ignored it. Um, and he took my son's car seat out of my car and some pull-ups that I had in the car. I just bought him some pull-ups. And, um, I guess he thought if he took the car seat, like I couldn't go out with and hang out with my friends. I don't know what his thought process was, but he took my car seat out of the car. And, um, you know, I, he didn't worry about the fact that if I didn't have a car seat, I couldn't get him home safely. <laughs> he just only wanted to know that I couldn't go somewhere and live my life without him. And, um, the, I called the cops and they said, well, we can't do anything because the door was unlocked. Well, the door was unlocked because he broke my door when we were still together. Mm. So the cops called 
and they, I think they showed up at, at his house and like got my car seat back or something, but I'm like, okay, if you got the car seat back from him, clearly he stole it. Like, why can you still not do anything about it? That was so frustrating to me. Right. Um, so anyway, they, they were able to, um, go ahead. I feel like you, like, I can just, I just listening to the story. It's like, I can just only imagine like the amount of stress that you must've been feeling as like, a you know, someone who's dealing with an abusive relationship again, being a single mom, having to, you know, deal with this and then needing, needing to feel protected and safe. And then like the people who should be making you feel that way. Like there's just so many, I don't know. It's just so frustrating to me like that. The system is like set in place. It's supposed to protect people. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like we can't arrest him because like your Mm -hmm. door was unlocked. Well, my door was unlocked Mm -hmm. because he literally broke the door. Well, we can get car seat, but we can't do, you know, and it's just, I can only imagine how exhausted you must have felt and just like frustrated. Yeah. So in all of the interactions that, that I had with police officers, because we called them numerous times, like when he would show up at my parents' house, when he, you know, there was one time where I, he was like walking down the road and it was after we had broken up and he was walking down the road and he gave me this sob story, like, Oh, my truck, I something. And so I gave him a ride. And when I gave him a ride, he started fighting with me because I didn't want to go back to him. And he ripped my hair like I had my hair in a clip and he ripped the clip like out of my hair and like pulled a chunk of my hair out and so I called the cops on him and they were like oh will you let him in your car okay but he physically assaulted me like right you know yeah yeah so um but there was there so in all of my interactions with all of the times that I had to call the police you know there was one time where I felt like the cops were like helpful and it was very, very frustrating. It was very frustrating. Um, so I had gone after that. I, I mean, we had, my mom had a car seat in her car, so she came to the the field. She picked my kid up. Like it wasn't a big deal. It was just really frustrating. Yeah. So, um, so the next morning I dropped my son off at the sitter's house um, and I went over to, cause he still lived in the trailer that we had lived in. So I went, I went over there to get the pull-ups because I needed them. Like money was tight. I couldn't afford to go get more. Um, at the time I didn't really know like resources for single parents, like where to get more things like that. So I was like, I need those pull-ups. Like my kid needed them. So, um, I went over there and he insisted he didn't have them. He said, he said, Oh, come on in and I'll show you that I don't have them. And, um, as soon as I got inside, like the vibe completely changed, like completely, like, like a switch. Um, he started fighting with me and telling me that I told him, uh, he was like, you were going to give me a chance and, um, you're not giving me that chance. Like, I've changed, I've this, and you know, you're just, you're not listening to me. And, um, I told him that he hadn't done anything, that he was still being abusive. He was still harassing me. He was still stalking me. He was just, he would call me names all the time. Like anytime we got into a fight, he would call me a slut, a whore. You're just going out and being a whore. Um, you know, like all you wanted to do was go and sleep with all these different guys. Um, And so 
you know, and even if he had changed, it wouldn't have mattered because I, I had, I was done. I had, I had decided that I was done, you know? Right. So anyway, we kept fighting, going back and forth. And, um, he went to the door and locked it and, and stood in front of it. And, um, he took my phone from me, so I couldn't call the police. And also, um, I knew that if he looked in my phone, he would see that I was on a dating app, which he would like lose his mind. You know, I was really scared that if he saw that, like he would get really violent with me. Um, you know, so I tried to get out the door. I tried to ask nicely. I was like, you know, just, I, you know, I tried to like talk him down, I guess, like, Oh, just, we just need to calm down and we'll talk about it later. And I promise I'll come by after work. And, you know, not that I was going to, but I just wanted to get out. And then when that didn't work, I, I hit him, I kicked him, I did anything to try and, you know, get, get my phone back and try and get out the door. And then the back door, we had a back door, but it was like blocked by a bunch of stuff, I think. And I don't, I don't know. I didn't, we never used the back door. So, um, so when none of that worked, I started getting, cause I already have like, um, claustrophobia almost. And so when I can't get out, I get really, really freaked out and I start panicking and, you know, so he wouldn't move, wouldn't move. I tried everything. And so I finally went to the, the kitchen was right by the, like by the front door. And I grabbed an, a knife from the, from the knife block. And I came, I came out at it with him and I, and I told him to move. I said, I said, move. And he just stared at me like, you're not going to do anything. And so when he still wouldn't move, I swung the knife at him. I couldn't think of anything else to do. So I swung the knife at him and I caught his upper arm and, um, he dropped my phone. When I did that, he was like in shock. Like he never thought, I guess that I would defend myself like that. Um, so he dropped my phone, I grabbed it and I ran out the door. Um, and so he, he ran after me. I got, I got to my car and I'm like unlocking my car really quickly. And he spit in my face Mm -hmm. and he said, I can't believe you would do that. And ever like, I hate spit. Like, I don't know why I just, I hate spit. Mm -hmm. And so when he did that, I just felt so disgusting. Like, I feel like that's, like one of the most disrespectful things you can do is to spit on somebody. Yeah. And so I jumped in my car and I left and I, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't think I never, cause he never, he never called the cops because he was always in the wrong. You know, mm-hmm. I never in a million years thought that he would call the cops on me and he did. Mm-hmm. He called the cops on me. Um, you know, so I, I think the, like, I don't know. I still, I cannot believe he, he caught it. And that's something I always, anytime somebody's telling me their story or anytime somebody's telling me about their abuser, they're like, oh, he would never No, You cannot think like that because they will, you know, or they could. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had found, I found out he called the cops after I got to work. I, I was just like, okay, I'm out. I'm good. And I went to work. I just wanted to get away from him. I wanted to be at work. And, um, 
So I was scrolling on Facebook while I was at work and I happened to see that the cops were looking for a woman who had stabbed a man in that area. And so I went down to the police station. Um, I, my mom took me to the police station and I called my, uh, I don't, I don't know that. I don't know that I'm going to talk about that part, but anyway, so I, I called my mom and um, she took me down to the police station because we didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if they were going to take me in. I wasn't really sure like what was going to happen. So I went down to the police station. I filed my own report to tell them like what happened, my side of the story type thing. Um, They didn't do anything at the time and my ex didn't press charges, but the state did pick up the case. So about um, that happened October 3rd. And in January, I got a letter in the mail saying that I had a court date for this incident. And so, um, they charged me with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Um, and on January 31st, I was arrested. I spent 48 hours in jail and it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through. Yeah. Um, I had a panic attack in my cell. I, um, they took my, I wasn't even like, I was just in a holding cell and I had an attorney. I had an attorney that was appointed to me when I had my court uh, hearing and um, you know, he had told me, he said, you're going to be arrested. Like it's, it's going to happen. So I knew that it was going to happen. But he told me, he said, you're going to be arrested, get the money together. Now, you know, you'll make bail. And so um, what was bail set at? It was, I, I can't ever remember what, cause like the bond is one and the bail is another. So the bond I think was $25,000. Oh my gosh. So we had to pay, um, I want to say it was like two, 2000 to 225, like 2,500, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was a wreck. My sister picked up my nephew from school or my nephew. My sister picked up my son from school um, and they just waited all weekend. They waited. They, my mom tried to come and visit me and she couldn't because I hadn't been in there long enough. Um, I was terrified that for some reason I wouldn't get out. Like I remember I was in my, cause I was in the holding cell for like, I don't even remember how many hours. And um, I was so scared. Like they, when they took me to like a regular cell, I was terrified. And I, um, my cellmate, I was talking to her and I started having a panic attack and she was like, you got to calm down. Like you have to calm down. And I was like, I don't know how I had never had a panic attack before. Mm. And, um, I just, I couldn't breathe. And, um, so I finally calmed down. I tried to ground myself. Um, and just think about my son and think about what I would do when I got out. So um, I, I did end up, I went in on a Friday, I got out on a Sunday um, and I had a, I had a really good attorney at, you know, just by chance, I had a, a good attorney that was appointed to me. Um, he was able to get the case dismissed, but not until April 21st. 
So I was on probation for like two months Mm -hmm. and um, I had like a curfew. I couldn't drink, which I didn't much anyway, but um, I just, I felt like a criminal, you know? Um, So that, I think that was like the hardest part was, was that. And that's something like, I always, you know, when, when girl or not, when women are telling me about their story and they like something comes up about them getting physical and stuff, I'm like, you gotta be careful, you know, well, and it could always happen. And I think like, I've had, I mean, yeah, within like, within word this within Phoenix, like I've had some locally who have been in situations where they got physical with their partner Mm -hmm. and then the partner ends up filing a restraining order. Mm -hmm. Kids are involved, you know, and it's like, that's, that's like my, I think one of my biggest concerns with women in domestic abuse situations, because like your responses underneath uh, trauma, like over a period of time become really heightened, um, whether that be emotional responses, um, your mental health is definitely decreasing and you're in fight or flight and Mm -hmm. you do the only things that you know how to protect yourself. And you'd never think that it would be you until it is you. And that's something like we keep saying episode after episode in reference to an abusive relationship. You never think you'd be in one until you are in one. You never think you'd stay this long until you do. You never think he'd Mm -hmm. hit you until he hits you, you know, and you know, it just continues, but you never think that you would fight back until you're in a situation where you need to fight back and you do. And it takes one misstep in your life is literally like ruined. You're, you're in jail. And there's, I don't know what her name is. Um, there's one circulating around Instagram. I think her, oh no, you know what? Her name is Nikki. Are you familiar with Nikki? She, um, I don't think so. She was a DV survivor and she was in a situation where it was life or death. She had a kid and she ended up killing like out of self-defense her abuse right. and it was like it was like backed up that like she was in a situation where her life was was at risk and she had been being abused for quite a long period of time and she's in jail she's been in jail and she has not been released and there are a lot of instagram accounts with like justice for Nikki and they have petitions that they're signing and, and people who are, um, you know, outside of the courthouse, um, trying to, you know, promote this yeah. uh, to like make it something well-known, you know, and, um, it's so sad because it's like, like, like you have to like, 
it's just like, it, it just, it keeps going and keeps going. And it's like the end result, it's like not, never going to be anything good. We think that like, you know, maybe we can fix them or maybe things will get better, but you will not fix them. They will not get better. And no. it's going to end in like one of three ways. Either you are going to die or you are going to do something stupid or, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's the third one? Uh, <laughs> you, what stay in it. And it just continues yeah. maybe to get continues. worse yeah. You're 40 years down the line and you're, you know, abused. Um, and so it's like, there, there's never any better solution. And right. so it's like, it's just so sad to like hear that and to like incredible though, to also hear like your story and just the series of events, because I think that God has really given you a testimony where you are able to share your story and like you are on the other side right now, but like you have truly experienced the grit of domestic violence and gone through a tremendous amount. Um, and just hearing that, like that reaction that you had to defend yourself and you ended up you know, using that knife and then you end up, you end up in jail. That's more than he's yeah. even ended up in. And yeah. well, you're- and what, well, and what I hate is that even if I was just having this conversation with my stepdad the other day, cause we, we talk about it kind of, I mean, it comes up kind of, kind of often, I guess, but like once a month it comes up. And, um, I was telling him like, Cause he was like, well, the mistake you made was not calling the cops. And I said, I mean, yes. And it was, it was, that was a mistake. I I should have called the cops when that happened. I should not have left. I should have called the cops, mm-hmm. but I still would have been arrested. There is not a doubt in my mind that if I had called the cops, when that happened, they would have arrested me that day. Like, because I had bruises on my arms but like, they don't, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care because they, I don't know. Hmm. I just, I, I do think that I still would have gone to jail that day, you know? Um, so yeah, I could have called the cops. I could have called the cops that day. And, but I don't think that the end result would have been any different. I still think I would have gone to jail, um, you know, and because they don't, people don't believe domestic violence victims, Mm -hmm. you know, they're like, oh, well, what did you do? Or, oh, well, why did you could have done something else? Why didn't you go out the window? Why didn't you this? Why didn't you that? Mm -hmm. Well, because I was being held hostage, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that's, that's what's so, so frustrating to me is anytime, anytime somebody hears a victim's story, there's victim blaming, you know, oh, well, why didn't you do this? Oh, well, why didn't you? Yeah. Um, so, well, why did you go in the house in the first place? Well, I don't know because I did, <laughs> you know, I, you can play the what if game all day, but the fact is that it happened. And yeah. the fact is that if he hadn't held me inside, I would not have had to defend myself, you know? Right. So it's just, it's so frustrating that we go through that, you know, we're abused by these people. And then we are ridiculed by others, you know? Um, And it's just, oh, and I also, I was thinking about it. So when I was in the holding cell, 
there were, I'm going to say 10 other women in there with me. And do you know how many of them were in there for defending themselves against their abusers? How many? Four. Wow. There wow. were four of us in there on one day hmm. wow. that were in there because our abusers called the police on them, called the police on us after we finally defended ourselves mm-hmm. on one day. Yeah. And, you know, I think about that often. And I think about the fact that one of the girls in there was talking about how she was going back to him when she got out and it breaks my heart. Yeah. Well, and I think that like, just fuels me because it's like that, that this is why, like we do this. And like, this is why we share our stories because there are people listening who (laughs) are being called out right now. And, you know, they, whether they're, that's the situation that they're in and the relationship that they are experiencing or have experienced, and they're stepping into another unhealthy, toxic one. And it's like, you know, this is why we share our stories. This is why like you are vulnerable and open up about some really personal things because your story is going to, uh, speak to people. And like the goal and the hope is that, you know, this opens up people's eyes and that they are able to leave before it's too late and Mm -hmm. see that there is not going to be like a long-term you know, this is not going to work out for you. It almost like it has left me like without any words, like I feel just like emotional and kind of sick to my stomach because I just, I think just like hearing that there's like four women in the holding cell and then to hear like that you had this experience and how scary that is that you were like so close to that point of like, you know, you were literally in a holding cell and had charges pressed against you. And just like the protection. I think that was on you that day to not be still, I don't know. I'm glad that, that, that was the extent of what happened. Um, yeah. And And I mean, like, sometimes I think about it and it's frustrating because since the charges were just dismissed, I still have that on my record. So anytime I apply for a job or anytime I do anything where a background check has to be run, I'm like, oh, great. People are going to see that. Oh, great. This is going to affect my ability to get this job. Wow. So anytime I apply for a job, I have to disclose that. I have to say, hey, this is going to come up on my record, you know, and I have to relive that every single time. And, um, you know, it's it's not as hard now just because it's been however many geez, like nine years almost. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, am I doing the math right? Something like that. Eight years. So, you know, it's, it's been enough time to where it doesn't make me as sad anymore because, and before it made me mad, I was so angry every time. And, and the first time, the first time I applied for a job after it had happened, um, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't think to say anything. And so they had called me back and they were like, Hey, um, we need to ask you about this. And I was like, I didn't even think about it. And so I had to explain the whole thing. And, um, and they were like, 
luckily they were understanding and I've fortunately not had an instance where they haven't been understanding, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just still there. You know, it's still something that I have to face every time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when, you know, when it happened, my attorney was like, you can get it expunged, but it's a pretty decent amount of money mm-hmm. to get it done. And I mean, who just has chunks of cash laying around? So, right. Um, I've just not really done anything about it. Um, but that's, I think, you know, one thing I always say, like to anybody who's asking like for advice, even if you're not ready to leave, like document everything. Yeah. Because if I had documented the abuse, because the only documentation that I had was, you know, the thing that happened with my parents, of course, and then like one or two other police reports. But if I had had documentation of every fight or of every physical uh, incident, it wouldn't have been because the DA, I, I was a monster. Like when she, I remember like talking to her and it, I was mad at her, but like, I mean, she didn't know any better, but she viewed me as just like this terrible person, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, but if I had had that documentation, you know, they would have seen this pattern. Right. So that's, that's the, I always tell people to document, you know, have somebody that you trust to send pictures to pictures of injuries. So yeah, have somebody that you trust, even if you're Mm -hmm. keeping it. I mean, I would recommend not even keeping it in your phone, but if you have a private folder Mm -hmm. or in your notes, lock the note with the photos. mm -hmm. Well, and, and I don't know if this is an issue with, or if you had this issue, but like I deleted the evidence like I would take pictures or I would write it in a note. And then after everything was better, I delete it. So mm-hmm. it was gone. Um, so I have a, a friend and, you know, she is in that situation and she had sent me uh, screenshots of some of the abusive things that she was going through. And I told her, I said, I'll have it whenever you're ready. So um, my, that's something my- I always say. Mine was definitely more like, uh, he was very smart. I think there, Mm -hmm. there's some that are very high functioning abusers. Yeah. And I mean, he's a high functioning sociopath. And so like, he knew better than to give me a bruise or to like, yeah, he just was very smart. And so, um, I didn't really have much to like, (laughs) to have as, as for documentation. Yeah. Um, except like nearing the end, I had had, um, a lawyer who had, she told me she was like, record him uh, speaking. And so some things that are currently in court now that I had mentioned, I can't speak about regarding Mm -hmm. my abuse. And it's, you know, honestly, like the biggest portion, I think of my story, which is so hard to like, not be able to share it with people, but like, um, at some point I definitely can. And, uh, anyways, like, yeah, I, um, 
I did, I had recorded it, recorded things in my voice notes and I had them saved and nobody really thinks to look there. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's a really good idea as well is like recording them, um, you know, speaking or whatever they're saying, um, because that's actually been one of the, um, biggest things for me, uh, that I've had as leverage for evidence. Because that's what, that's what they need. It's like, you got a bruise on your face. Well, like, do you have a video of him punching you in the face? You know, mm-hmm. like, like ridiculous, the amount of evidence that they need. And so, yeah, um, that's something that, that I recommend, but yeah. So, um, I didn't know if there was like, uh, an extra additional part to the story you wanted to share. If not, then we'll get into the last question. Um, not really. Uh, the only thing I didn't really share about like how I decided to leave. And again, like even with my last abuser, like it was just cause so many people are like, Oh, well, how do you know when? And for me, it was just that one incident. And I was like, I can't do it anymore. You know, you just, this thing clicks in your mind and it's just, you can't do it anymore. And that's kind of how it was with him too. Like we had this one fight and he was super controlling when I had gone on a trip with my mom and I was like, I'm done. I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. He accused me of cheating again and, um, you know, just harassment. And I was like, it was, I was tired. I was tired of fighting. I was tired of trying to make it work. I was tired of, you know, trying to make my family something that it wasn't. And so I was just done. And I, uh, told my friend that and, um, oh, you know what? No, it wasn't, it wasn't the trip. It was, I was at my mom's and we were, uh, I was hanging out at my mom's and he was like, where are you at? Where are you at? Where are you at? Couldn't come to my mom's because of those issues. So, um, I told my friend, I was like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. And she was like, well, come stay with me. And I was like, are you serious? And she said, yeah, come stay with me. And so I did, I never went back home. Mm -hmm. I went and stayed with her and, you know, she was my, like, even to this day, like once, once a year, I'm like, Hey, you know, thank you. Mm. Because I don't, I think if it wasn't for her, like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have left. Um, you know, I, I, I knew that she was a safe place to go. I knew that she was willing to, and it was actually the same friend that, that I was hanging out with, with my last abuser when I was like, okay, I'm done. Um, it was the same friend. So mm-hmm. like once a year, I'm like, Hey dude, thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I love that because I think, um, sometimes it really does just take like, I don't know. Right. I think it's sort of like someone has to catch you almost at the right time as well. Um, right. but that's why I say like, we have to listen sooner and we have to pay attention to the people that we love really closely um, and be willing to offer up a space in our home or (laughs) offer up a car ride to a local shelter, like whatever Mm -hmm. it is, like we have to take care of the people close to us um, and pay attention. Cause like you said, like it was, if it wasn't for her, like maybe you wouldn't have gotten out, you know? So It, and it certainly wouldn't have been at that time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, um, but yeah, I, I had one question for you. I know, mm-hmm. um, this question's a bit different than what we usually ask at the end, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think is 
what do you think is important for someone who is out of an abusive relationship to like do or something they need to figure out um, so that they don't end up in an abusive relationship again? Therapy. And I know that sounds cliche and I know that sounds, um, you know, it therapy, like heal yourself before you try and get into another relationship. Because even for me, even though I was, I was single for about a year and a half, um, before my daughter's dad and I got together. And so I was pretty good about recognizing red flags, but, um, even with him, I ignored a lot of red flags. And although he wasn't, um, abusive, he did have abusive tendencies. And, um, it was because I had not, even though I had been single, I hadn't healed myself. I hadn't gone to therapy to figure out why I ignored red flags and figure out why I needed to fix people or why I felt the need to fix people. Um, you know, so I think that going to therapy and really figuring out, really getting to know yourself and your trauma and, um, you know, healing that part of you that's, that's broken. And it's not shameful to know that a part of you is broken. People, I think in general are broken people. And, uh, you know, so I think going and going to a therapist and saying, this is what, this is what's happening. This is what I've been through. Let's work on it to heal it so that we don't keep going back into that cycle. Right. You know, because it kind of seems like with me, like, I felt like, I feel like I went from a very, very, very abusive person to a slightly less abusive person to a person that wasn't necessarily abusive, but was definitely toxic Mm -hmm. and had abusive tendencies. And I told myself after that relationship ended, I would not do that again. Mm -hmm. You know, I needed to heal what was wrong within myself so that I would not ignore red flags again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I went to counseling at the women's shelter because they were specialized in that. And then after I did counseling, I went to a therapist because counselors are, are really good. They're really good about being able to talk through feelings and kind of give you some insight on things. But if you go to a therapist, they can give you the tools that you need, right. you know, and um, unfortunately, uh, mental health stuff and therapy is hard to come by. Um but, you know, if you can get those resources, they are very important, I think. Yeah. To ending the cycle. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's one thing I've learned, like from being a single mom, um, just use all the resource that, resources that you can you know, any, any resources that are available to single parents or victims of abuse, like use them. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I would say you need to heal yourself before you can get into another relationship just because I, I, unless you just luck of the draw, get somebody that is, is a good pick. There is a really good chance that you'll get with another person that is at the very least toxic. Yeah. And I think you need to have people who can hold you accountable to call out because as soon as you start to hide a relationship from the people who care about you, it's, I mean, it's that, that says it all. And so mm-hmm. having people who know you and who can call out things in you and say, Oh, this guy is not a good egg. He is, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, because there are like good, solid men who mm-hmm. are not toxic and who are healthy. And it may feel like it's hard to come by. Um, and it is, but there are good people out there and you are so deserving of like a love that is healthy, healthy. stable, steady, and consistent. Mm-hmm. And it is out there and it is available. And just right. because somebody mistook you and misused you and, you know, betrayed you once does not mean that, um, you know, you are unworthy or unloved or unvaluable. Um, they didn't see your value, but it doesn't mean that you're not valuable. They just didn't see it. Right. Um, right. And that's, I mean, I know that's something that I have really tried to instill in myself over the last couple of years is that I am a good person. I am a good partner. I am a good friend and I deserve a good partner, a good friend, a good person. Yes. And unless you are not, unless you are that, then you don't deserve a space in my life. Yes. Protect your, protect your peace. Yes. And like we said in the last episode, like, yes, relationships are work, but they should not be exhausting. Yes. You know? Yeah. So good. Megan, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this episode was like packed with a lot of gold nuggets and I'm Uh just really looking forward to, uh, writing about it and like making sure that people know what they're going to listen to before they listen to it. Cause I think it's very different than all the other episodes that we've thus far shared Mm -hmm. and you provide insight through your life. I mean, that's, it's, going to help people. Um, I know it without a shadow of doubt. Yeah. So thank you. I'm super grateful that I've met you and like that we're in community together now. Um, and I'm excited to just, yeah, see your life like flourish and just really, it's an honor to get to see you cultivate your life and, um, walk in who you, who you are and know your worth and value. Um, even though I haven't seen you this whole journey, like I'm really excited (laughs) to step into it now. So, yeah. And I just want to say, like, I am so proud of everybody who shares their story on and offline. I mean, like the, the people that have come on to this, this podcast, like you're just, it's so brave 
Mm. It's so brave to get out there and let people know what you've survived and what you've been through and what you've learned, you know, um, it's just so brave and it takes so much courage. And I just, I'm really proud of everybody that is doing this. Mm. Yeah, me too. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you, Megan, for coming on today. Thank Um, you guys. We will Uh, pick up for next Thursday. We only have a couple more episodes left and then we're going to end season one and then kick off season two uh, in May. So yeah, we will see you then. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.